0: A BrainIron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or so of news for today, Friday, January 26th, 2024. Kenneth Eugene Smith was killed last night by the state of Alabama, becoming the first person to be executed by nitrogen gas in the United States. He was strapped to a gurney in the same execution chamber where he lay for four hours in 2022, when the state last attempted to end his life, but failed when executioners were unable to find a vein. A gas mask was placed over his face, and he was forced to breathe pure nitrogen gas, depriving him of oxygen and causing him to asphyxiate. Witnesses said he shook and writhed on the gurney for two minutes, occasionally pulling against his restraints before all apparent struggling ceased, and he breathed heavily for a few minutes until his breathing stopped. He was declared dead at 8.25 p.m., Smith was convicted of first-degree murder for his involvement in a 1988 murder-for-hire plot, in which he and an accomplice carried out the stabbing murder of Elizabeth Sennett. Sennett's husband, pastor and landlord, Charles Sennett Sr., hired a tenant, Billy Gray Williams, to kill his wife. Williams, in turn, hired Smith and another man, John Forrest Parker, to complete the murder, Pastor Senate was having an extramarital affair, was deep in debt, and had taken out a substantial life insurance policy on his wife. After police indicated to him in questioning that they suspected he was involved in his wife's death, Sennett left the station, confessed his various misdeeds and role in their mother's death to his sons, and then shot himself to death. All four men who played a role in Elizabeth Senate's murder are now dead. Her husband, by suicide. The tenant WILLIAMS, who was sentenced to life in prison without parole and died while incarcerated in 2020. Parker, executed in 2010 by lethal injection. And now Smith, executed last night. A BRIEF EDITORIAL ASIDE I chose to explain Smith's crime today, not because I know it will justify, in the minds of some, what the state did to him last night, which it no doubt will, but because I think it offers a clear view of the absurdity of the death penalty. The thing about Smith's crime that wounds the conscience so deeply, beyond the obvious fact of the murder, of course, is how little the 23 years old Smith apparently valued life in 1988. He was contracted to do the killing for $1,000, which amounts to all of about $2,500 in purchasing power today. Police also found a VCR that belonged to the Senates in Smith's home. So for the cost of a 32-inch television and a pilfered videotape player, Smith was willing to kill a person. The pettiness of the return for the awful act highlights the depravity of the individual responsible for carrying it out and we recoil, horrified, not because there is some amount of money that would justify the murder, but because the intrinsic value of a human life cannot be assigned a monetary value at all. No amount of money can sensibly make one's life forfeit. There is something particularly condemnable, too, in the cold-blooded planning of the act, and our system of justice reflects this crimes of passion and reaction are not generally as harshly punished as those crimes that are willfully premeditated. The only way to justify the killing of Kenneth Eugene Smith is to say that he forfeited the right to his life when he took another. But there are somewhere between 15,000 and 25,000 homicides committed in the United States every year. There are somewhere between 4,000 and 8,000 first-degree murder convictions in the United States every year. There are approximately 2,400 people awaiting execution on death row in the United States right now, around 1% of whom can expect to be killed this year. Since 1973, an average of four people on death row are found to have been wrongfully convicted every year. These are all just numbers, big and small, but they point to something obviously true. Smith's crime was unforgivable, but it was not unique. The fact, then, that he ended up killed by the state of Alabama is not some inevitability created by his awful actions, but the result of a random and arbitrary series of events that includes a jury of his peers voting against sentencing him to death 11 to 1, and a judge overruling them, a practice that is now banned in all 50 states. We the people... Don't kill murderers in numbers commensurate with the number of murders committed because we don't want to be killers ourselves, because killing is a brutalizing act, a crime against our own humanity as surely as it is a crime against the victims. We have largely decided that we will not allow the depraved actions of someone else to call forth a duty to kill in the rest of us. If this were not true, thousands of murderers would be put to death by the state every year, rather than a couple of dozen. In other words, we have already chosen to all but end the death penalty, but for a tiny percentage of people who, after committing a murder, by essentially random chance, plinko their way through the criminal justice system to the death chamber. This is, by any reasonable understanding, both cruel and unusual. The government, of us, for us, by us, should not kill people. China has reached out to Iran to see if maybe they could get the Houthis to knock it off with all the bombardment of ships in the Red Sea, according to Reuters. Quote, basically, China says, if our interests are harmed in any way, it will impact our business with Tehran. So tell the Houthis to show restraint End quote. An Iranian official told Reuters on condition of anonymity. The Houthis have been intermittently attacking commercial shipping vessels passing through the Gulf of Aden, heading into and out of the Red Sea since October, in what they claim is support for the Palestinian cause. From Reuters, quote, The Iranian sources said Beijing had made it clear it would be very disappointed with Tehran if any vessels linked to China were hit or the country's interests were affected in any way, end quote. Given U.S. sanctions, China is a vital trade partner for Iran, their largest trading partner, buying up more than 90% of the country's crude oil exports in 2023. Chinese concerns could therefore have some impact on Iranian policy, but Iran's countervailing interests in the region leave them with an assortment of other priorities as well. As an Iranian source told Reuters, "...regional alliances and priorities, as well as ideological considerations, contribute significantly to Tehran's decisions." The Chinese have also been playing nice with Saudi Arabia in recent years, Iran's chief regional rival, and the country they are fighting by proxy through the Houthis in Yemen, as the communist giants' main concerns on the world stage are not ideological, nor even so political, as they are strictly material." The Houthis' ongoing attacks in the Red Sea have forced many shipping companies to abandon the route altogether, instead sending ships around the Horn of Africa, which adds 10 days and more than 3,000 nautical miles to the journey from Asian ports to European destinations, putting increased financial pressure on a global shipping industry still in the process of recovering from pandemic disruptions. Experts say that China is unlikely to make their dissatisfaction known publicly and that they are mostly content to silently piggyback on and ultimately benefit from the United States' military response to the attacks. The U.S. and U.K. and an assortment of other allies have worked to defend the ships in the Red Sea and also launched several rounds of attacks against Houthi weapons depots and intelligence capabilities and have recently begun daily so-called whack-a-mole assaults on missile sites in the very moments that weapons are being loaded onto launch systems. All of this is happening as the humanitarian situation in Yemen threatens to deteriorate even further, with international aid groups warning that funds are already running low and that the constant threat of bombings makes it increasingly difficult to deliver aid to those in need. The Houthis have vowed to continue their attacks, and the U.S. and U.K. and allies have made it clear that they would continue to retaliate. In briefer news, the United States secretly warned Iran about the imminent potential of a specific terrorist attack by Islamic State, ahead of twin suicide bombings that resulted in 84 deaths on January 3rd, the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday. U.S. officials said that Iran was warned that Islamic State affiliate ISIS-K was planning an attack on a memorial service for Qasim Soleimani with enough time to potentially thwart such an attack, but the U.S. received no response, and Iran obviously failed to prevent the bombings. Florida lawmakers are seeking to pass legislation that would bar anyone aged 16 and younger from using social media, in what would be the nation's strictest yet such attempt, and one that would likely face court challenges on the basis of First Amendment claims. And Ingenuity, the tiny NASA helicopter that accompanied the Mars rover Perseverance to the Red Planet's surface in 2021, flew its 72nd and final mission on January 18th, NASA has announced. The drone, the first powered aircraft to ever achieve extraterrestrial flight, was deployed as a scout for the rover, flying into the thin Martian air to give NASA a better map of the surrounding area. Included as an add-on to Perseverance's main mission over the objection of some at NASA, who believed it would distract from other crucial work, the chopper far exceeded operational expectations. One of Ingenuity's three-foot-in-diameter rotor blades was damaged when it impacted the Martian surface during an uncontrolled landing on the 18th, leaving it incapable of flight. The rover's Curiosity and Perseverance continue to operate on Mars, and NASA was, until recently, planning what it calls the Mars Sample Return Mission, which would land a craft near Perseverance, retrieve some of the samples it has collected, and return them to Earth for study by 2033. In November, however, NASA announced it had paused the mission due to heightened costs and technical challenges, pushing the expected launch date from 2028 to an undetermined point in the future. In sports, Novak Djokovic fell in the Australian Open semifinals to Italian Yannick Sinner in four sets, ending one of the most impressive streaks in tennis history. Djokovic had never before lost an Aussie Open match after advancing to the semifinals. Until today, the Serb was a perfect 20-0 and 0 in the last two rounds of the tournament. Sinner advances to the title match, along with Russia's Daniel Medvedev, who survived a five-set match against German Alexander Zverev. Sinner and Medvedev will play after the women's final match on Sunday. A brief word from management. On Tuesday's edition of the Morning Press, we mistakenly said that the semifinals would take place late Wednesday night into Thursday morning, when in fact the matches took place late Thursday night into Friday morning. The morning press regrets the error, but to be fair, Australia is very far away and seems like a silly place, making it rather difficult to determine when anything is taking place over there. On this day in history, January 26, 2020, Kobe Bryant, one of the best basketball players of his generation, died in a helicopter crash at 41 years old. January twenty sixth also marks all-time hockey great Wayne Gretzky's 63rd birthday, all-time great daytime talk show host Ellen DeGeneres' 66th birthday, and decidedly poor-to-middling state of Michigan's 187th birthday. Now, here's a look at the weather. It is, right now, on January 26th, 79 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny outside in Charlottesville, Virginia. In this cool, dark basement office, it is 65 degrees. I think that's enough talking into microphones for this week. Have a great weekend. That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to BrainIronPodcast at gmail.com. For a transcript of today's episode and links to the stories referenced, find the Morning Press at BrainIron.substack.com, where, if you would like to support this and the other podcasting and blogging endeavors of the BrainIron.com media empire, you can also become a paying subscriber. If you can think of anyone else who might enjoy whatever it is we're up to around here, please consider sharing. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you next week. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.